You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Tim Brooks. Well, I'm looking forward to sharing the word with you. Uh, Open to Galatians 2 and Acts 15. Uh, If you are one of those that really like kind of a motivation and a feel-good sermon, uh, this one may be a little tough for you. For those who really like a Bible study and really enjoy studying the Word and breaking it down word for word and verse by verse, you're going to love this Bible study. Uh, we got to roll up our sleeves and get some understanding of the Word here. In this lesson, we're going to be talking about the single most important church meeting that was ever held. Not a close second. The Jerusalem Conference. You read about it in Acts chapter 15, and this conference in Acts chapter 15 is what Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, is all about. So go to Galatians chapter 2, and we'll get started in our section where we left off last week. Chapter 2, verse 1. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again. This time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that they were, we were in agreement for fear that all of my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion, companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations, but we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what was I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me. God didn't have any favorites. Instead, they saw that God had given me responsibility of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews. For the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle of the Jews also worked through me as apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we kept on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. A lot, a lot here, and a lot here that we have to understand. Ever since God cut covenant with Abraham, if you go back to Genesis chapter 12, some of y'all remember the story where God cut a covenant with Abraham. If you'll be my people, I'll be your God. God cut a covenant with Abraham right at the very early beginnings of Genesis chapter 12. He says the promise, I'll make you a great nation. So, you know, the stars, I mean, going to be his numbers, the stars in the sky, the sand, the sea. I'm going to make you a great nation. 
And so God began with a group of people that became known as the Hebrews. Later, that group became known as Jewish people. And the entire Old Covenant is about this group of people. The whole Old Testament, from Genesis all the way to Malachi, is about God dealing with that group of people who we now know as the Jewish people. You remember they were the Hebrews and and all of that transition of name. You'll have to go back and study the whole Old Testament to get this. But, But through that very exclusive relationship with God, nobody else had a relationship with God. It was only the Hebrew people. That was it. They were God's people. And God was teaching the world, I want a people. I want people that are set apart from the world, that are not a part of the world, that are in the world but not of the world. They are a set apart, distinct, different group. And that's who I'm going to have a relationship with. Well, at that time, that was a nationality of people. So... For 4,000 years, you couldn't follow God unless you were a born Hebrew. You, You couldn't follow God in the Old Testament unless you were one of Abraham's descendants. And that was for 4,000 years of human history. Jesus comes. Jesus comes, and we've got the ushering in of a new covenant. Now, God still wants the precedent he set. He still wants a people that are set apart from the world. He wants a people that are his people. See, people called by my name. He wants a group of people that are not a part of the world, that are set apart. But now, after Jesus, you no longer had to be born a descendant of Abraham by faith in Jesus, by accepting his blood and his forgiveness for sin, then you could be saved. We got a real problem. A real problem. You start reading about that problem in the first chapter or two chapters of Acts. Gentiles started getting saved. Well, can they? No. No, no, y'all can't accept Jesus. Only the Jewish people can accept Jesus. See, Yahweh, God, El Shaddai, that's for the Jewish people. We got a real problem. Gentiles started believing on the name of the Lord Jesus, and they were saved. Well, they can't be, except they were. So what are you going to do? Well, we got to call a conference and figure this out. We're going to have to call a conference and figure this out because I just don't see that Gentiles can be saved. So Acts chapter 15 is the most important chapter in the whole Bible for me because I'm a Gentile. This is the most important chapter in the whole Bible. And I say it's the most important meeting that has ever, ever, ever been held because I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew, and had the Jerusalem conference gone the other way, they wouldn't let me be saved. So this is a vital chapter 
in Scripture for us. Now, I don't want to get so detailed and too deep, and I don't want to get this study over your head, but we in here got to understand this. You have to understand it, it wasn't an easy transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Now, for us who have been living in the New Covenant for 2,000 years, we can kind of look back on the Old Covenant, but that's a distant memory that we read about. But for these people in this period, the transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, this was not easy for all those Jewish leaders. So when you read about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Essenes and the Zealots, when you read about those Jewish leaders and their difficulty with Jesus, they were trying the best they could to be religious like they had been for 4,000 years. And wait, this doesn't make sense to me. So instead of getting irritated at them as you read the New Testament, you begin to understand where they're coming from because we've got Paul leading Gentiles to the Lord, and I don't know if Gentiles can be led to the Lord, so we've got a real spiritual war on our hands here for the period of the early church. This is why all of the Pauline epistles are about salvation. Salvation by grace, salvation by faith. Here is the way that you get saved. Paul explaining the gospel of salvation because it was different than it had been for 4,000 years. The only way you could approach God was keep all of these hundreds and hundreds of laws. And if you broke one, off with you. Well, all of a sudden, it's the blood of Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice that forgives me, washes me clean, and I've got entrance before God, and it doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, if you're Greek, if you're slave, if you're bond, if you're male, if you're female, you can come to Jesus. Well, hold on. I don't know if we can. Okay, well, then let's talk about this. Let's talk about, well, well, okay, you can be saved, but first you have to be circumcised, and then we'll let you get saved. Well, the problem was people were getting saved and they weren't circumcised yet. Here we start in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas. Titus came along too. All right, Barnabas and Titus. Now, I've got way too many scripture references for me to turn to and read all these. For those of you who are really not into this, y'all just doze for the next 20 minutes, you'll have a good nap. For those that love Bible study, I'm going to give you the scripture references, you write them down, and then you can go put together all that I'm telling you, and you can see where I got this. I didn't just come up with this on my own, I read it here in the Bible, I'll give you the references, you write them down, you can go study this when you have time to look all this up. Barnabas was one of Paul's closest friends. Barnabas was the one who got Paul in the fellowship of the Jerusalem church. Because, see, Paul, remember, was Saul who was going around killing the Christians. So he wasn't just come on in here and fellowship with us. We didn't even know if we wanted him around us. We were still half scared of him. Now, dadgum him, he's leading Jews. I mean, he's leading Gentiles to Jesus. Well, you can't do that. Okay, so here's Paul. He's kind of an outcast. So Barnabas is the one that gets him invited into the church in Acts chapter 9, verse 26, 27, and 28. 
The word Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. He was sent to encourage the Gentiles at Antioch. You can read that in Acts 11, 19 through 24. Barnabas was called to the Gentile believers to help disciple them. And he's the one that enlisted Paul's help to say, come on, let's get these guys understanding salvation by grace. You read about that in Acts eleven twenty five through 26. So they begin to work together in teaching the Gentile believers. Now, Titus was a Gentile believer who was won to the Lord by Paul and worked with him. So Titus is kind of fruit of Paul's ministry. He's sort of the poster child here. And, and he comes along with Paul. And Paul, oh, Paul, Gentiles can't be saved. Let me introduce you to Titus. I asked Jesus into my heart. And he came in. So now what are you going to do with that? So Titus is assisting Paul in leading Gentiles to the Lord through Jesus by his own testimony of, I'm a Gentile, but let me tell you, when you repent of your sins and you ask Jesus to come in, your whole life is changed. You won't believe what can happen to you. And you can read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You can read about it in Titus chapter 1 verse 5. All right, back to verse 1 of Galatians, our text. All right, 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and, and Titus. All right, these men that we start off here with, the three men were the pillars of the church in Jerusalem. We got Peter, we got John, and we have James, the brother of Jesus. Now, Peter, we don't need to talk a whole lot about. We know Peter, we know a lot about Peter. The whole first half of the book of Acts is about Peter. All right, we know John. John was one of the three that was the closest to Jesus. He worked with Peter in the ministry. There's a whole lot that we read in the New Testament about John. James, we're going to read here in a minute, is the head of the church at Jerusalem, and he presides over this Jerusalem conference. But there's not a whole lot about James that we know because James wasn't a believer. All right, the gospel records that Mary and Joseph had other children besides Jesus. Jesus is the center of the Christmas story. We know Jesus was the son of Mary and Joseph. We know the story. But Mary and Joseph had other kids. They had other kids. Now here, it, this is one of the most profound facts in Scripture to me, what I want to share with you. And, and I want you to get this. I, I want you to get this. Jesus' own brothers and sisters did not believe in him at all. Hold your place there. Let's go over to John. So I want you to see this. Very interesting to me. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish festivals and shelters. And Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where some of your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you, if you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for even his brothers 
didn't believe in him. Okay, has everybody got that? How would you go about it if your brother said, hey, I'm the Messiah? I mean, you kind of understand. Your brother says, well, I'm not really Joseph's son. Mary got, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And really, why don't you just go out there and do your thing? So you, you get this. His brothers and sisters were very underwhelmed with Jesus. All right, Acts chapter 1. Now, they saw Jesus' whole life. Saw the miracles, go do some miracles, go to, I don't I guess they thought he was a magician, or y'all go do some miracles, go heal some people, go feed some people, get that. They never were impressed with Jesus while he was here. Okay, this is interesting, now watch this unfold. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. When they arrived, they went up upstairs to the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, Judas. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women, and the brothers of Jesus. What happened? They didn't believe in Jesus during his whole life, then now why are they suddenly in the upper room? Why are they suddenly, what happened here? First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, I just love this kind of stuff. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 5. Christ was verse four, raised from the dead on the third day, as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers. At one time, most of them who are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later all of the apostles. Okay. Now put this together for you right here. Put this together. James, his brother, didn't believe in Jesus during his life. The miracles that he saw Jesus do didn't impress him. He mocked Jesus, never believed in Jesus. But when you saw, standing by your mother, and you saw this clown of your brother, got his dumb self crucified. I guess he got what he deserved. You're trying to console your mother. Bonehead, I told him he was going to get himself killed. So here you're consoling your mother because your bonehead brother got himself killed. What changed him? To me, this is the biggest testimony of the validity of the resurrection there is out there. Whoa! They saw Jesus crucified. They saw him buried. They saw him roll that stone roll away. They, he was gone. They dealt with their mom who was crying. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes in, walks through the wall, and appears to them. Do, do you see what happened right here? Church, this is the biggest reality. Well, I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. Then what changed James? You think about that. If you don't, this is the biggest proof of, of, of the resurrection to me that there is. And there's a lot of proof of the resurrection and those he appeared. But all those people that didn't believe in him, mocked him, 
thought he was just a lunatic, even his own brothers, now they're all in and leading the church, laying their life down on the line for him. They had to have seen the resurrection. They had to have experienced Jesus walking in the room and talking with them. And James became the leader of the church at Jerusalem. That's, that's powerful to me. That is powerful to me. James, the earthly brother of Jesus, is the writer of the epistle of James. What changed him? What changed him was the resurrection of Jesus. What changed him was seeing God bring Jesus out of that tomb. Okay, back to our story. We got a group of people in Jerusalem. They've got to meet and decide, can Gentiles get saved? Galatians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 is, a, is a catching us up on what we know happened in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas had returned from Antioch on their missionary journey. They were excited about the way that God was opening up the door of faith to the Gentiles. The Jewish legalists in Jerusalem were upset with this report. This can't be happening. All right, let's kind of go back and forth and tie this in. Chapter 15 of Acts, while Paul and Barnabas were at Antioch of Syria, some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers, unless you're circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. <laughs> they are, who are they teaching? They're teaching the believers. Well, you got there a little late. <laughs> okay, you guys can't be saved unless you follow the Jewish law, except they already were. So, so you see the problem that we've got here that is developing in the early church. So they were demanding that the Gentiles be circumcised, but they forgot the whole reason of circumcision. We don't have time to go back and study Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. But it says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Then he became circumcised. It wasn't his circumcision. It wasn't keeping the law that got Abraham right with God. It was his faith in God that got him right with God. Okay, are you following this? Okay, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2 talks about this. Philippians chapter 3 talks about this. When Paul and Bar Barnabas confronted these men with the truth of the gospel, a heated argument breaks out. Acts chapter 15 verse 2. Paul and Barnabas disagreed with them arguing vehemently, finally the church decided to send Paul and Barnabas to Jerusalem. Okay, we're in Antioch and we're fighting. Paul and Barnabas said they're getting saved. The other folks that they're saying they can't be saved unless they keep the Jewish law. A vehement fight breaks out. All right, you guys go to Jerusalem and let's figure this out. All right, Galatians, hold your place there. Go back to chapter 2, verse 2. I went there. Because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church. And I shared with them the message that I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that we were in agreement for fear that my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. Now, he's saying, I didn't go to Jerusalem because some church sent me. I went because of a revelation that I got from the Lord, God sent me. Some man didn't plan this trip. And he said, verse 2, lest 
I should not run in vain. That doesn't mean that Paul was unsure of his message. What he was concerned about was the future of the gospel for the church. For the church saying, these guys can't be saved. Paul knows they can be saved. And so he's concerned about what's going to happen. If the leadership in the Jerusalem conference decided with the Judaizers, that's those that wanted to make them a Jew first, then Paul's ministry would be in jeopardy to the Gentiles. All right, let's read on. Galatians verse 3. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because of some so-called believers there, false ones, really, who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ, and they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. Hold over, go over to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verse 6. So the apostles... And the elders met together to resolve this issue. At the meeting, after a long discussion, Peter stood up and addressed them as follows. Brothers, you all know that God chose me from among you some time ago to preach to the Gentiles so they could hear the good news and believe. God knows people's hearts, and he confirmed that he accepts Gentiles by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith. Acts 15, verse 10. So why are you now challenging God by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? We believe that we are all saved the same way by undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. Everyone listened quietly as Barnabas and Paul told about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. When they had finished, James, okay, this is the brother of Jesus, stood up and said, brothers, listen to me. Okay, we're arguing back and forth. No, they can't be saved. Yes, they can be saved. They are being saved. After we heard both sides of the story, James stands up and said, brothers, I want everybody to listen to me. Peter has told you about the time God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for himself. And this conversion of the Gentiles is exactly what the prophets predicted. As it is written, afterward, I'll return and restore the fallen house of David. I'll rebuild its ruins and restore it so that the rest of humanity might seek the Lord, including the Gentiles. Uh-oh. This is prophecy. God said this is going to happen back under the old covenant he started saying, God told this, a lo- uh, oh, I didn't read that part. The Lord has spoken. He who made these things known so long ago. Here's James. And so it is my judgment that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Thank you, Lord. You see the hand of the Holy Spirit directing the ushering in of the new covenant Instead, we'd write and tell them, abstain from eating food offered to idols, sexual immorality, eating meat, strangled animals, consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogue from every city on the Sabbath for many generations. Then the apostles and the elders together with the whole church in Jerusalem chose delegates and they sent them to Antioch of Syria with Paul and Barnabas to report this decision. 
Church, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened for all of us in here who are Gentiles. The acceptance of salvation by grace through faith. Now, several witnesses presented their case for the gospel of grace, beginning with Peter. It is the gospel of salvation through grace. Now, this is easy for us to understand, but we're in a transition period. We're in a transition period. Now, back to Galatians. Titus was the test case. He was a Gentile Christian that never submitted to circumcision, yet it was clear he was genuinely saved. And so here we go, the entrance of salvation into the world through faith. Now, it is okay for you to wear a cross necklace. It's okay for you to wear cross earrings, but those don't make you closer to God. The blood of Jesus makes you close to God. It's okay for you to read the Word, study the Word. You need to know the Word. But reading the Bible doesn't get you into God. It's the blood of Jesus that gets you. Are are you hearing this? We need to go to church. But it's not you going to church that makes you right with God. It's the blood of Jesus that makes you right with God. Here is the transition. You can wear makeup. You cannot wear makeup because makeup is not what gets you close to God. It's the blood of Jesus. Some of you think, you know what? It's probably not good for me to eat pork. Okay, don't eat pork. But it's the blood of Jesus that gets you close to God. It's not whether you eat pork or don't eat. Get circumcision, not circumcision. It's not an outward act that gets you close to God. It is through Jesus. It is through Jesus. It is through Jesus. And as I've said it over and over again, never think that your pastor has God's ear more than you have God's ear. I'm called to teach and preach the Word. You're called to be an electrician. You're called to be a plumber. You're called to be a roofer. But it's the blood of Jesus that gives us access to God. It's not what we're called to do. So don't ever think that the pastor's prayers are heard by God any more than your prayers are. I'm not opposed to you calling a prayer line on TV and having them pray for you. I'm not opposed to you doing that. I mean, it's scriptural. Have other people pray for you. Never think that some big-name evangelist has God's ear more than you have God's ear. A big-name evangelist is not any quicker for God to hear his prayer than God hears your prayer. because God hears your prayer because of the blood of Jesus has washed you clean and gave you access before God. And believers today have got to get this message, and so many still don't because they believe somebody else's prayers are more effective than theirs. They believe that, I'm, well, I'm not worthy, but if I could just get so-and-so to pray for me, if I could just get so and I'm not opposed to somebody else praying for you. The Scripture talks about that. But I want to make sure that everybody in this church understands it is not anything that you do. It's not any outward act. It's not your education. It's not how much of the Bible you know or don't know. It is the blood of Jesus 
that washes you clean and puts you in contact with God. I want to make sure that every member of this church understands that and has a grasp on that. And so in your greatest time of need, you boldly step up to the throne of grace and say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, and he hears your prayers. I want to make sure that every member of this church knows that. I am your pastor, but I'm not any closer to God because I'm a pastor than you are. I want to make sure that we get that. All right, let's read on Galatians chapter 2, verse 3. They supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Okay, they're starting to get this. Okay, they're starting to get this. Even that question came up, uh, they just came in and they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow Jewish regulations. Last week, when I say Paul, I'm talking about now Paul Kern, not Apostle Paul. Last week, our Paul here in this church, he was preaching lesson two. Y'all remember that? Did anybody remember the story he told about being invited by his friend to go to a church and there was a lady... And the foyer of that church was scissors, and you had to have your hair cut off of your collar before you could go into that church. Has anybody ever been to a church like that? Anybody here? I've been there. I've been there. We have been there many times, 30, 40 years ago. We'd take our our Christian school ball team to another church to play, and they wouldn't let some of our women come in to watch their kids play because they had pants on. You didn't have a dress on. Uh, but they wouldn't let some of our men come in unless you put a tie on. They had some hanging there. You put a tie on. If you had hair touching your collar, they had to cut it off with scissors. See, this right here is not a foreign story. This is exactly, you have to be circumcised before you can be saved. You have to get a haircut before you can come in here and get saved. See, we still today, 2,000 years later, are, are not really grasping salvation by grace through faith. Oh, Tim, I can't come to your church. If those people down in your church knew what I did, if I came in the doors of the church, the walls would just fall in. Tim, you don't know what I've done. I don't care anything about what you've done. I know what Jesus did. And, and it's just hard for us even today, living in the new covenant, to understand what Jesus did for you. And still today, so many wallet in insecurity, they wallet in inferiority, they feel like they're not good enough, they feel like they're not worthy enough. You're not getting what I'm teaching here. You're not getting what the Jerusalem conference was all about. You don't have to do anything outwardly. Now, what's interesting to me, and I was just listening to Paul teach last week, uh, lesson two, when he got saved, then he cut his hair. You know, we want to clean people's act up before they can get saved, where the message is, if we would just let them come to the Lord, then the Lord would clean their act up. You know, you want to tell Paul, our Paul, you can't get saved because your hair was too long, you were smoking dope, you were doing drugs, you were cooking meth, you can't get saved until you stop all that. As opposed to the, the new covenant that wants to say, come to Jesus. Right where you are, right where you are, come to Jesus. Now, I don't have to worry about all that other stuff. I never told Paul when he drove up here and smoked his last joint before he pulled onto our campus. I never told him. Now, you need to stop smoking that dope. God told him that. 
You just get them to the Lord, and then we will take care of all of these laws. But 2,000 years ago, we were arguing over this, and it's interesting today that still many are fighting over this, still arguing over what people need to do, cleaning up their act. Look, you don't need to do anything. It just come to Jesus, confess your sins, lay your life down on the altar, and say, come and wash me clean. Forgive me. The Judaizers were trying to make them become a Jew first before they could become a Christian. And this is what this conference is all about. And this is what our section in Galatians is all about. Church, I can't possibly communicate the importance of the Jerusalem conference and what was at stake there. This is the single biggest doctrinal controversy that was ever held. And the outcome of that allows you and I to come to Jesus. Let's don't continue to fight that battle. Let's don't continue to put a bunch of regulations on people. You just come to our church. You just come to our church. Will our gays welcome in your church? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will you teach that's not the biblical lifestyle? We, that's not the biblical lifestyle, but you're welcome to come in here, and God will reveal that to you, and you'll change yourself. See, but you're welcome to come in here. You don't have to stop drinking, stop cussing, stop sm- You don't have to stop and clean your act up before you come to the Lord. You come to the Lord and then let God deal with you about things that you need to cut out of your life. And we still want to go back under the old covenant and tell people with that long judgmental finger, don't do this and don't do that and don't do this and don't do that. You come to Jesus. You come to Jesus and let him wash you clean. Now, this is very interesting to me. This is, go back to Galatians, you've got to see this. We are right in the middle of the most doctrinally controversial church meeting that has ever been held. And we are arguing over an, ex, an, intense, an intense spiritual doctrinal argument here in verse 10. Their only suggestion is is that we keep on helping the poor, which I've always been eager to do. Wow. Wow. Correct doctrine is never a substitute for our daily Christian duty. There's something more important than correct doctrine, and that's doing your Christian duty and living godly. And then all of this will fall in line for you. Very quickly, turn over to James. Here is the outcome of that teaching. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing, what good does that do? So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. See, faith produces the good deeds in our life. We don't do good deeds to get to the Lord. We get to the Lord by faith, and then we do good deeds. Now, someone may argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. Here is faith and works coming together. There's always that group that wants to tell you you got to do this and do this and do this. 
there's always that group that wants to tell you it's just by grace that you're saved. The truth of this is it's both. I think it's so interesting that we have just studied a very, very, very deep doctrinal message. And it ends with, verse 10, keep on helping the poor. I just think that is so interesting. What we believe can't be more important than helping people. Or you totally miss the point of what you believe. Y'all stand. Lord, we thank you for your word to us tonight. We're just so grateful for the ushering in of the new covenant. Lord, that we do. We do want to live our life pleasing to you. That we want to adhere to the word of your commandments. That we do want to live right before you. But Lord, thank you that it is your grace. Your, Your grace through the blood of Jesus that we come to stand before you. Tonight, Lord, we love you, we worship you, and we honor you. We give you praise. Wash us clean, wash us clean, that we stand right before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. You've been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com. 